church. How are we doing today? Look at someone near you and say, it looks like spring outside. Do that, would you? I didn't say it feels like spring. I just said it looks like spring. It reminds me of spring. If you're joining us at home, I want to say welcome to you as well. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 3. It may feel like we're backing up, and we really are a little bit. Pastor Dan, a couple of weeks ago, took on chapter 4 as he talked about really kind of the essence of Cain and Abel is that Cain had a problem with God, and he took it out on his brother. I mean, it's really, it was a spiritual issue that found itself in a human relationship relationship of sin crouched at the door. Pastor Chelsea did a great job last week. In fact, I'll tell you, I think she probably did the best job I've ever heard of dissecting that passage and helping us to understand what it means to walk with God, to break a slide. If you notice, there was a generational slide, and yet they were able to stand against. Enoch was a man who was able to walk with God, even though the slide of humanity was a downward slide. It's a great word of encouragement, no matter what your family of origin, whatever your, whatever your family spiritual background is, you can break that cycle and you can have a close walk with God. And it's a great, great word. Today we're going to back up a little bit in order to push forward as we get into Genesis chapter 3. We, uh, we've learned some things on the journey through Genesis so far. Chapter 1 essentially was this, as I share a couple of creation truths. Essentially is that God made the world for us and we, he made us for him. That God gave humanity, gave man, Adam, dominion, gave him dominion over the earth. And, and so you could make the fact or the point that God created the earth, gave it to man to oversee, to have dominion, but he made us uniquely to have relationship with him, for us to love him, for us to bring honor and glory to him. As we, through our worship time, just kind of discover this is all about loving him who first loved us, about reflecting to God his glory through worship. Chapter 2, we learn that God gave humanity a choice. He, he placed in the garden two trees, the, garden, uh, the tree of life and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he gave us a choice. Now, you say, well, why would he give us a choice? Because love without a choice is not love. It's a dictatorship. And so God created us to have a choice or a free will, and you might call it this, is that the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was kind of like a wedding ring. When a person wears a wedding ring, you're making a public vow, you're making a public statement that I am going to be committed to one lover and I'm going to abandon all other lovers. And, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was really a choice for Adam and Eve, am I going to live, love God with all my heart 
or am I going to follow another? And so it became kind of that symbol of loving God. And then the third truth that we learned was that Satan contends for God's love with Adam and Eve. He's contending with that love. And we, we looked at that the last time I was here as we were kind of looking at that whole thing of voices and how God is a voice that speaks into our, our life and that Satan speaks into our life. And the voice that we listen to will determine everything about how we live our life, but also about, about the fruitfulness of our life. And I want to get into that passage a little bit more because we saw the last time of the fall of Adam and Eve. We saw that sin entered into the world, but we didn't take much of an of a opportunity to talk about the consequences of it. And so I'd like for you just to go back to chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 6, and it simply says this, Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some of it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. There was a little quote that came out of the last time that I preached that I want to reiterate comes out of this passage because it's something for me that really strikes me. It's just because something tastes good, just because something feels good, just because something seems good, and just because we want something doesn't mean it is good. And there's this idea in our culture that if it feels good or if you want it or it's just something that, 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 that tastes good in your life or it's pleasurable, then, then it must be good. And just because it is doesn't mean it's good. It still led to a destructive decision in Adam and Eve's life. Then the man and his, uh, then both of their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves to, together and they made coverings for themselves. And when the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, that, by the way, that Hebrew phrase, the cool of the day, it's the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So there's a lot of folks that look at that and say that, that there's even a, a reference to the Holy Spirit in this passage, that there's a communion that's taking place in that way. As they walked in the garden on the cool of the day and as they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to man where are you and he answered I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from and the man said the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it and then the Lord looked at the woman and said what have you done and the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike its heel. That's a good place to underline. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains of childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Now, it's interesting is that if you hadn't, I hadn't really brought attention to this, but it's interesting. God gave Adam the direct 
order not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Most believe that Eve knew not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because Adam told her what God had said. You'll notice back when she mentions it to Satan, and we're not even supposed to touch it, there's kind of this idea that she either accentuated what God said or she, she basically said what Adam said to her. Adam said, don't eat it, and by the way, don't touch it, just to kind of remove any doubt about it. But it's interesting, God accuses Adam of something here, and he said, listen, I spoke to you, and I spoke directly to you, and you decided to listen to your wife rather than to listen to me. And so there's kind of an accusation that takes place in that passage. He says, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man is now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, as you look down through this passage, you'll notice that while Satan contends for humanity's love, there's an immediate and a residual consequence to Adam and Eve's sin. What I mean by residual is that we're still paying the price today. There, there's an immediate one, but then there's an ongoing one for all of humanity, and we could spend probably all day going through some of them, but I wanted to bring attention to a few of them. The first thing you notice is that they're ashamed of their sexuality. It's really interesting that as God created Adam and Eve and gave them marriage and gave them each other, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And the inference in this passage is they're immediately ashamed now. I heard somebody at our conference a couple of weeks ago. By the way, Tammy and I attended, for the first time I can remember in 34 years of marriage, we attended a marriage conference that we were either not in charge of or we were not speaking at and ministering at. And we decided to go to, in fact, I went incognito. I didn't tell anybody I was a pastor. They asked me, would anybody from your church like to go? I said, I hope not. <laughs> by the way, it was called Weekend to Remember. I cannot, it's uh, sponsored by Family Life. I cannot recommend it high enough. It was a great weekend. Wherever you are in the journey, wherever you are, just simply to go more intentionally toward oneness, in your marriage relationship. There's one coming up in Kalamazoo coming up later this year in April. I would highly recommend it. Okay, there was the spot. But during the time where we talked about sex and sexuality and we talked about that whole thing in marriage, it's interesting. Um, one of the speakers said something that struck me and that is, is that guilt is something that you feel. Shame is something that you wear. 
And Adam and Eve wore shame. It wasn't just what they felt. They tried to cover themselves. It was almost like clothing. And it's interesting that today, I, I don't know that we're ashamed of our sexuality. I, I think we're ruled by our sexuality. It has become the identifying characteristic. And in case you're thinking that we have somehow discovered new ways of pursuing sexuality, nothing that is engaged in our current culture today is, is much different than it was 2,000 years ago. The only change maybe might be the attention that media is able to give toward it. But we see that throughout human history, every aspect of this sexuality and a a downward spiral has been pursued. But it's interesting how quickly that was a residual as well as an immediate impact of sin. You'll also notice in this passage, they weren't just ashamed of their sexuality, but also of their spirituality. They were spiritually afraid. They were ashamed. In fact, um, theologians call this the fall. And it's a great term because humanity fell hard that there was immediately this fall in their communion and relationship with God that, again, we still deal with today. Number three, there was an increase in labor. Now, it's interesting because he talks about that there are some consequences for women, the increase in labor when it comes to childbearing. The inference is that there was pain before. It wasn't as intense as it is now. I have never given birth, but I am told by my wife and others that it is an incredible amount of pain, and I will take their word for it. I don't need to experience that. You'll also notice that there is a residual impact on this whole thing for in, in marriage. He says, your desire is going to be for your husband. He will rule over you. I'm not sure if that's a description or a prescription or if it's just simply a result, but there is an impact. We notice that even today, how that's a, that continues to be this kind of this warring within place and gender. For man, he says, he says there's going to be increase in labor, but it's a different kind of labor. It's going to be the laboriousness of work. Now, work is not a sin, and it's not even a result of sin. I happen to be reading it this morning, and it just struck me as I'm looking around and see a couple of farmers in here, that farming was the very first, right, call to work. And there's not a negative thing. In fact, there's a lot of sense of significance and satisfaction that comes from work. It's the laboriousness. It's by the sweat of the brow. It's the turmoil. In fact, you'll notice something that takes place here. It's not just humanity that is impacted. It's actually all of creation. All creation was impacted by the fall. And so you'll notice in this passage that he talks about that there's going to be thorns, there's going to be thistles, there's going to be a barrenness of land, that all that stuff came in because of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we're not the only ones that are groaning, but all of creation is groaning for the redemption of God, for the salvation that God is not simply going to deal with our sin when we come to heaven. He's not only going to deal with the redemption of humanity, but he's going to deal with the redemption of all creation because all of creation was impacted by the fall. You'll notice as you go further in this that, that there was immediately a spiritual separation. 
There's a divide. Now, God created us for him. God created us to have communion with him and to have relationship with him. And immediately, there is a relational break. There is a slide. There's a distance. And oh, by the way, God didn't move. It was humanity that moved. It's an old joke. It's an old story. I just remembered it during the first hour is that there was a couple that was, was riding they, together. They had been married for a number of years. And as they were riding, they came up behind another car that <laughs> there were two people in it, but it looked like one person because the, the, the young lady had scooted so close to the man and he had his arm around her. It reminded me when Tammy and I were dating, um, I had uh, the first car my wife ever knew I had was a Camaro. My first car was actually a uh, Volkswagen Rabbit. Uh, didn't get a lot of dates in that one, but I, I but when I moved to the Camaro, uh, we started dating, and uh, my Camaro didn't have that center column. It was a '74 Camaro, um, 350 engine. But I won't go any more into it. Uh, let's just say I graduated from the Camaro to a Chevette. That's kind of how my life has gone on cars. And but but in the center section, there was just kind of a hump, but it was hard. It was over the transmission. I had bucket seats. So during our dating relationship, Tammy's mom made a little pillow to put in between so she could scoot a little closer. That's back in the days. You didn't have to wear a, a uh, what do you call those things? Seatbelt, Seat yeah. <laughs> I had other names I was going to call it, but it didn't seem appropriate. Uh, <laughs> so as this couple drives up behind the other couple, the woman looks over at her husband and says, why don't we do that anymore? Husband looked back at his wife and said, I haven't moved. What's interesting is many feel very distant from the Lord. And God looks at us and says, I, I never moved. I'm still where I was, I'm still here. And if there's a distance in fellowship, it isn't because God sinned or broke the bond. It's, it's a result of sin, but it's a result of our own sins. Anytime there's sin in our life, it breaks that fellowship, that communion with God. You'll notice also that one of the residual effects and immediate really was death. And some would say, well, yeah, you're talking about spiritual death. And there was. There was immediately spiritual death. But, but it's more than that. This is where physical death entered into humanity entered into the world. In fact, I would tell you death didn't occur before this time in any of creation. Because death is not how we were created. You know, sometimes I get corrected and others get corrected because I have people come to me and say, you know, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I've had young moms tell me that. I don't want to die. And I know I'm supposed to be okay with it because I know I'm going to go to heaven someday and I should be. Can I just, can I give you some permission and, and, and I know I'm going to get corrected by some. It's okay not to want to die. God did not create us to die. God created us to live. This whole thing of death is an intrusion into humanity. We were created to live forever. We were created to have life and so it's okay I love heaven too I am looking forward to heaven I just don't want to be on the first train 
Now, when I get there, I'm probably going to be saying, man, I'm ready. I'm glad. I wish I'd have got here a long time ago. But, but the fact is, it's okay to want to live because that is, a, that is a natural thing that God birthed into us from very creation. But not only is there physical death, there's spiritual death. There's this intrusion because of the fall of humanity. And what's interesting when we look at this passage, it's not just what took place, as I've been saying this entire time, it's what we learn about who is behind it. It's the God of creation. What do we learn about God? When we talk about creation and we see that God is able to create something from nothing, is able to push back the darkness by bringing light, that he hovers, the Spirit of God hovers uh, and is ready and available in our lives, that God created us to have communion with him. What are we learning about God from this passage? It's really interesting. We learn three things about the Father's heart that's going to carry us the rest of the way through this series. The first thing we learn is that God is the first one who who looks for lost people. He is the pursuer. No sooner had humanity sinned. Adam made a choice. Eve made a choice. They sinned against God. They were ashamed and they hid themselves. And God's first question was, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And God calls to us, God calls to you. Whether you believe in him or not, he is calling you and saying, where are you today? He's looking for us. And in case, I used a number of years ago, we did a message and I said that the theme of the Bible is simply this. God lost something and he wants it back. God lost something and he wants it back. If you can say that with me, let's say it together. Ready? God lost something and he wants it back. And in case that offends you, that is the very picture that Jesus uses when he describes our heavenly father. Luke chapter 15, he, he tells a parable in three parts. He tells the parable of a hundred sheep. One sheep goes astray. He leaves the 99. He goes to the one. Why? Because he lost something and he wants it back. Then he tells, as part of that parable, there was a woman who lost one coin. She had nine. She lost one. She searched everywhere for the one. And when she found it, she rejoiced and told her neighbors. Why? Because she had found the one thing she had lost. Then he talks about a, a father who has a son who is a prodigal and goes away. And that father waits for the son to come home, even though he's been in a pin pig pen and he has blown it in his life. He embraces him and rejoices. And he says, what? He says, my my son was dead, now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. I would tell you that is the heart of God that pursues us and he has been pursuing us from the very, before you ever get out of Genesis chapter three, God is pursuing us and he's pursuing you. When I was a kid, um, I would sometimes go with my dad to uh, to the places where he would work. He was a herbicide fertilizer salesman. By the way, I met a, a woman that worked with him some 40 years ago when I was down in Florida. Uh, we just happened to meet. She found out who I was. She goes, is Jake your dad? And she told me about how my dad used to work with these chemicals. And frankly, uh, it's a miracle my dad lived as long as he did because they just didn't use any safety precautions at all. 
But I remember one time I went with my dad to work on a, on a sprayer because he sold fertilizers and herbicides and one of the things they sold were sprayers that you could use to squirt trees orchards and Christmas trees and all those things he would he, he fixed those sprayers they could shoot the stuff on the trees and we went to a place called E.B. Pines which is uh, since then I've learned is a Christmas tree farm and it's quite a large one it's actually on both sides of uh, of the highway down I think in Bristol Indiana off of 120 and I remember when we went there, there was a pretty fancy restaurant. It's funny the things you remember because we had a picture of me and my dad that day. And my dad, I'm about this tall holding my dad's hand. He was wearing a t-shirt. I was wearing a t-shirt and both our stomachs were sticking out, you know, pretty good. I remember my dad bought me jello. And it was fancy jello that was cubed and it had whipped cream on it and mixed into it and it was in like a, a like a goblet oh man i just amazing i'd never had anything like that isn't that funny things you remember i was told this rest of the story i remember part but i was told the rest i was lost they lost me Somewhere on this Christmas tree farm, in fact, they were so nervous, they were going to take, there was a helicopter there doing some stuff. They were going to take a helicopter to find me because they could not find me. When they found me, now I remember when they found me because what I was doing, I was barefoot. I was out in a row of trees and I was sitting on like a rock or a log and I was, I had, because I was barefoot, I had all kinds of little prickles in my foot. And I was crying as I was pulling these little things out of my foot. And I remember looking up and down that row of trees, my dad came around the row, he was yelling. Not, not yelling at me, he was yelling for me. Difference, right? And my dad found me. And what struck me this morning when I was thinking about that story is I thought the worst problem I had were the little thistles in my foot. When really the biggest problem I had is I was lost and I didn't know it. And we think the things that bring us pain in life are the hardest things and the worst things we face. But what's even worse than that is when we are lost and we don't even realize it. And God spends all of eternity, as we know it anyway, bringing us back to where he always wanted us to be because before you ever get out of Genesis chapter 3 God begins to pursue us Genesis chapter 4 we see a life taken Genesis chapter 6 we see that God was grieved that he had made mankind because every inclination of his heart was only wicked at all times Genesis chapter 11 mankind tries to get to heaven by building a big tower Genesis chapter 12, God realizes the only way we're ever going to get to him is if he comes and chooses us. And so he reaches into the life of Abraham and chooses one to represent an entire nation out of which nation Jesus Christ will come to be a blessing for all. You get into the New Testament, God gives his one and only son to die on the cross that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And as you come to the very last chapter of the Bible, 
Revelation chapter 22. Not once, not twice, but three times this is said, but I'm only going to read one to you. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 to 14. Some of Jesus' very last words to everyone. Here's what he says. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are all of those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3, the tree of life is taken away. Revelation 22, for those whose robes have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's in that passage, he says, here's the tree of life. All of our history, God has been pursuing us to bring us back to where he always wanted us in the first place. And you think God doesn't know where you're at? Number two, real quick, we got to finish her up. God was the first to look for lost people. You'll notice in this passage, God makes a promise. And by the way, he wants everybody to know the promise. Look what it says in verse 15. Theologians call this the protos or proto-evangelium, the very first gospel. Here's what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says to the serpent, which the book of Revelation says that ancient serpent who is the devil, Satan, he says to Satan, he, talking about Jesus Christ, Referring to the future, he's going to crush your head. You'll strike his heel. He will crush your head. Romans chapter 16, Paul says, and God is crushing under your feet, Satan. You see, there's a promise before they ever get out of the garden. No sooner had they been dealing with guilt and shame and separation and the consequences of sin than God goes looking for them and pursuing them and says, I make you a promise. I am going to fight for you and I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to fight for you. Number three, he makes a provision. He makes a sacrifice, and this is important because not only is it important because of what God did, but what it communicated to everyone who read it. Notice what it says, the Lord God made garments of skin. Now, I'm not a genius, but I don't know how else you get skin other than from an animal, and I don't know how the animal gives that up without giving his life. 
And it was more than a practical provision. It was a promissory provision where he says, I'm going to make a sacrifice which is going to cover your shame, your guilt, your sin. And what does the New Testament say about when Christ died for us? Yes, he cleanses. Yes, he forgives, but he also covers. And we're not even out of the book of Genesis and the heart of the Father cannot stand not pursuing, promising, and providing for His children because He wants you to be close to Him. You were designed for this purpose. He made you for that very reason. I'm reading a book. I just started reading it about three weeks ago and I was, I was a little surprised. I didn't know that much about the book. It's called Redeeming Heartache. I forgot to look up the author's name. It's not in my memory right now. The subtitle is How Our Past Suffering Can Become the Call of God of Purpose in Our Life. How God Uses Our Suffering to Bring Us ministry and purpose. Redeeming heartache is what it's called. I'm not even 25 pages in and three times already they have used the same phrase. I know you feel broken. We are all trying to get back to Eden again. There's a yearning for us to be back where God wanted us to be. There's a heart cry to be where God designed us to be. And if that is your heartache today, if that is, your, if that is the yearning of your heart, God has made that possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is not an anger story. This is not a God hates you story. It really is a love story, but it's a love story that has consequences if we don't accept. God wants to bring you close. All who are far away. Father, as we come before you this morning, I, I love your word and I, I love how you give inspiration and direction and maybe even how to communicate it, but it, it's really not about that. Holy Spirit, you are wooing and hovering and you've been already speaking to people and maybe I gave voice to a couple of things that you've already been speaking to them about but can I just challenge you that if God is asking where are you it's not because he doesn't know where you're at it's because you need to know where you're at and he's offering you a promise and he's offering you a relationship to come near again, but it comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you may not understand everything about that, but we would love the chance to talk with you more about that. We pray with you regarding that, but it begins by being obedient to the voice of God when He says, come to me.
all who are weary, tired, worn out, and I'll give you rest. And in your heart right now, you can say, yes, Jesus, I want you, yes. Bring me back to where you always wanted me to be and walk communion and relationship with you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.